You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. For this week's episode, we're going to return to our conversations from the 2018 Optic Conference hosted by B&H Photo and sponsored by the likes of Sony, Nikon, Canon, Fujifilm, Panasonic, Adobe, SanDisk, LensBaby, and others. We spoke with so many wonderful photographers, and we're going to present these talks over the coming weeks, but today we'd like to focus on street photography and the work of two very distinctive photographers. Our first guest is Cece Brimberg, a veteran adventure and travel photographer who has over 30 stories for National Geographic to her credit. But our talk focuses on the informal portraiture that she captures in the streets and country roads around the world. We spoke with Cece about her interactions with people and how her work and camera choices have evolved over the years. After a short break, we're going to be speaking with Zyzer Cruz Bacani, a Filipino street and documentary photographer who has been published by the New York Times, CNN, and other international publications. Zyzer, who is a Fujifilm ambassador, was a domestic worker in Hong Kong for a decade and began to photograph in the streets in order to show her mother, also a domestic worker, a side of Hong Kong that she had never been able to see herself. We speak with Zeiser about her no-viewfinder technique, the cameras and lenses she prefers, and the differences between news, documentary, and street photography. But let's start with Cece Brimberg. Cece Brimberg is from Copenhagen, Denmark. She's been a National Geo photographer since 1976, where she's published over 30 stories, including the National Geographic Society's Centennial in 1988, The Fragile Recovery of California Sea Otters, When the Greeks Went West, and the Hanseatic League, Europe's First Common Market. Her photographs of migrant workers earned her the Picture Story of the Year Award from the National Press Photographers Association. Cece created a media company, Keen Press, with her late husband, Cotton Colson, producing stills and video for a variety of international publications, organizations, and private companies. Her focus is on the environment, climate change, and international travel, and we're delighted to have you as a guest today. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. It's uh, really great. I hope we will have a wonderful conversation together. Mm-hmm. You know, and by the way, you know, you, you, your whole thing is adventure, and even just getting here was adventure because you, you got lost getting here. <laughs> so <laughs> it, life is an adventure. <laughs> that, that is true. Um, yeah, I, that, is, that was an adventure, but even in an adventure um, mode and perhaps running a little bit, um, I'm still looking for pictures. <laughs> Today you're talking some somewhere on this subject, right? About informal street photography and yes. portraits. Well, let's say that you're in work mode. You're you're uh-huh. on the street, yeah. and the moment you say to them is, "I'd like to take your picture. I'd like to take your portrait," they go into pose mode or oh, something sure. like that. How do you work around that? How do you <laughs> take, do that dance? Um, I. They often do not have any conversations with the people in front of my camera. It, it is not a part of it, and I, I call it coincidental portraits, mm-hmm. and and it is just taken on the fly, and it is like it happens right in front of you. You have to be awfully fast. 
to do that. And uh, I would have to say my cameras are not the fastest uh, in, in uh, on the market, but I, I force them to be as fast as they can. And... Um, and then it is something it's like uh, it's something that happens in a split second and if it doesn't if if i don't catch the right thing i will go on sometimes um there are uh, are situations where i have photographed uh, like i showed a picture yesterday of two women that were really hostile towards me. And you can see it is written all over their faces. And I'm walking right at them. They're sitting in front of their stall. They have like a little antique store. Oh, with the the cigarette, the lady with the cigarette. Mm -hmm. And and, um, I mean, if if you start a conversation, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah, Yeah. and then you can't do that. So take the picture. And uh, because I was on, on public uh, land, and and then um, I, I I then later on had a little conversation with them, and actually they turned out to be wonderful women. Right. But of course they are at uh, nine thirty in the morning, reading their newspapers or their novels, having their cigarettes and their coffee. We're talking France. Mm-hmm. Um, then <laughs> <laughs> then um, yeah, it was inconvenient. Did they uh, recognize you when you came back as being the person who stole their picture earlier? Or I don't steal pictures. I mean, <laughs> pictures. It's just a euphemism. Yeah, well, no, I, got, I, got I don't. Be. I don't steal anything. Sometimes I like to think of that. Yeah. Taking the picture is the conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you yeah, look at it that, that way. You yeah, know, that, uh, that, that's and a if good the way of if, putting it. Yeah, if Absolutely. the eyes are right and mm-hmm. and the gestures are there, you've just had a conversation, even without yeah. any words being spoken. You, yeah. you, mm-hmm. That's true. You yeah. have had your first conversation there, and then perhaps there will be verbal conversations following mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes there is, and sometimes there is not. Sometimes people really do not see me uh, when I take the pictures. I have. Um, I have a a way, I, and I should say, like, I try not to be flamboyant in the street in any shape or form or fashion, uh, fashion especially, and that will be that I, I don't wear something that makes me stand out. I do not carry a lot of cameras with me. Very often I only have one camera body and, and one lens sitting on it. I don't look like a Christmas tree out working. So... Um, so that makes me go much more into a, a group of people that perhaps have gotten a camera in their hands and, and perhaps they are amateurs and whatever. Um, and I like to be in, in that range of things. I, I have no um, hesitation in, in going down. I, I, I don't want to present myself as a, oh, a full fled professional photographer. Well, I think. Of, I, I what think, camera do you use? Because oh, that's also yeah. part of it. I mean, pre- mm-hmm. Again, some yeah, cameras sure. just mm-hmm. scream photography, and some of them yeah. don't. Yeah. Uh huh. Absolutely. I I agree. Um, beforehand, I was shooting with the with the Nikon's, and um, it was the eight hundred series, and and then um, uh, I had. Very often the twenty-four to seventy mm-hmm. uh, sitting on it, which is a very big lens. Yeah, um, yeah like and yeah, 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 yeah. But it's still, I still could handle to get really close in, and and really be kind of invisible, and, and raise my camera in front of people's faces without really intruding, because I think it is a 
a very bad thing to force people into rejecting you like mm-hmm. in that space but i i i can get very very close without you noticing mm-hmm. me and and i call it and an invisibility cloak, <laughs> and, and I think thank you, Harry Potter. I was about to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think somebody beat you to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I borrowed his, <laughs> and 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 now these days I use uh, the Sony's and that's the Alpha Seven series, and it is uh, of course then a mirrorless camera, and so uh, there's a little bit about that um, that it gets a lot less noisy. Which is good, and then the Alpha Alpha Seven S, of mm-hmm. course, is the one that is totally silent. The other ones are too, but I I I don't use them much on the silent mode. They have some issues, um, but um, silent. Have you ever tried to? Yeah. Oh, it is yeah. silent. In fact, yeah. it scares oh, me because oh, I don't know if the cameras aren't even on. That's that's the thing. We all kind of say grown up with the rhythm of taking pictures. There's there's a rhythm in it. You push your finger and the shutter reacts to it. And and you are used to both the shake and the confirmation. The sound. And yeah. there's no confirmation that you did it now. That's, and that's uh, yeah. that's a weird the, feeling. The only thing is uh, you can you can see it in the viewfinder yes. that it has happened. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that that whole control board there's a in the bottom of the frame. Yes. You can see it, but uh, but boy, is it kind of very difficult to get used it's to. It's unsettling. I, I, yes, I, it, it is. It, that's the only way I can describe yeah, it. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You do get used to it, absolutely, but boy, it takes a long time because you're so used to the whole rhythm that the the sound, the shake, everything, and and the and then the thing, of course, the confirmation with the mirror that goes up when you're looking to the viewfinder in like the Nikon or the Canon, whatever you using a, 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 um, a reflex camera. Do you find the difference, uh, the Nikon D800 series, those are amazing cameras. Yes, they are. Amazing cameras. Uh-huh. They're larger though, compared yes. to say the Sony. Do you find mm-hmm. a difference in, is the Sony system, because it has a smaller, narrower form factor, less uh, uh, frightening to the people you're aiming at? Do you find there's less, less resistance to it? It seems a little bit less intrusive or... F- yeah, yeah, I, that that could be, um, but quite frankly, I even with the Nikon and that big clunker of a lens on it, it I could still do it, and and it it didn't result in any resentment from from the people in front of the lens. I guess it's the way you presented it and the way you presented. I, I think the, the the whole thing comes down to yourself mm-hmm. inside. Can you justify? that you're doing this, that you're taking this frame? Do you have a reason to do it? And is the reason good enough? Then I think that you ray a, a certain type of confidence mm-hmm. in it. And with that, I totally agree the, with you, are, you are not so much a, a foreign entity to people. Um, so, of course, there are times when, when people have been a little upset, but... <laughs> oh, that you're never going to stop that. Okay, no, no. but you and, know, and it gets I, I think, gets I think worse. your point about being the attitude and how you present and yeah. how you come across is mm-hmm. a lot of things that are hard to even—they're not even tangible, but uh-huh. it's a sense that you get and an energy that you get from a person. And yeah, you yeah. can tell. Okay, this person's uh-huh. already to uh-huh. approach me. Yeah. You know, I had a, a situation yesterday when I was leaving here and I, uh-huh. I walked home. 
And first of all, I totally agree with you. When you can justify to mm-hmm. yourself that this is a valid, you're doing something good, mm-hmm. it makes it so much easier. And uh-huh. and the vibe somehow translates to the person you're ph- photographing. Sure. So Absolutely. I had two experiences yesterday walking home. I had that moment. It was a group of guys on bicycles and they were about to take off to the uh-huh. city. And I kind of stood there. I made eye contact with one of them. I got that good vibe. I started taking pictures. It was all good. Uh-huh. Earlier, I was taking pictures of a group of people. And on my approach, I got my shots, and but I didn't like them. So I wanted, I circled back. Mm-hmm. This is in the streets right here on 34th Street okay. to do it again. Mm-hmm. But I could tell at that point they became aware of me. Mm-hmm. So I did a little trick, mm-hmm. which I want to ask you if you've done tricks like this. I okay. just became a tourist for a minute. Mm-hmm. I started looking up in the sky. Mm-hmm. I, I, I put my, I took a, I didn't even take a picture, but I looked up there and I gave it a few seconds to kind of let them forget about me. Yeah. And just think, okay, here's another tourist taking pictures sure. of Manhattan. And then I came back, got myself ready, and took my picture again. So mm-hmm. in street photography, do you have any tricks like that? Anything that you kind of do to to kind of to be aid your invisibility cloak? Yeah, um, I will have to say I have done it together with my husband, my late husband, Carlton Colson. Mm. We were working in... Um, in the Blue Lagoon mm. in Iceland. I don't know, you you have seen pictures from there. It's the one where the, the water is milky blue mm-hmm. everywhere and, mm-hmm. and there's all the smoke and it's, it's really dramatic, wonderful. And, and we were cruising around in the water and, and there, was, there was a guy in front of us who had put some of the, the white um, silica, silica mud on his face. And he, he was hostile. And he had seen us. And what we did was we started to talk about something like photography and look in that direction, look that. And we kind of made some noise in in where this guy could relax because all the noise was not about him. Mm. And um and he he turned around and um I can't say who of us took the frame, but it's a really good frame and a cotton took it. Okay. <laughs> 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 and it's, and it, the, the whole head is just raying with being hostile towards uh, us. Yeah. Huh. I think I actually saw that picture. Before. Oh, you did? I think so, yeah. yeah. It, I, I mean, it, it even looks like he has little horns in his uh-huh. head. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> it's really, really, really funny. But that was the way that he and I worked together. Mm. A lot. Helps. I mean, it was it was really, yeah. really a yeah. wonderful uh, symbiotic relationship yeah. Yeah. In, in where we we pushed each other hard. We um, and we competed, but in in a good way. We would never uh, have have stepped in front of the other one's lens, except for <laughs> it was like if it was a coincidence. An that's, that the picture? that's it. <laughs> there we that's go. There's it. the photograph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah, he is hostile. Oh yes. <laughs> a, a question for you. Now, yeah. you and Cotton obviously had a really, really good relationship, sure. you know, wor- working personal uh-huh. relationship. Yeah. Um, and you took it to great heights and mm-hmm. all of a sudden he's gone and he's gone for what, yes. three years now, yes. last month. Yes. H- how is it going out there by yourself right now? How have you had oh. to readjust mm. to go out there knowing, okay, m- my partner is not here now. Mm-hmm. I have to still carry on and move forward. Okay. Sure. How have you had to readjust your working habits, your I'm in the process of doing that. Uh, it, it's not a final, but but never um, will be. No, and I I think Cotton would be really proud of me uh, if he knew how far so. I had gotten. Be, mm. and, and and so, um, but the I have stayed away from 
anything with going out and being by myself in in some hotel room somewhere. It it, it just still seems to me very dreadful, um, the the silence that would be in it, and not being capable of talking about the pictures that have been like harvested from from the day and so so um i have i have not done that especially i i have other types of photography together with lindblad expeditions mm -hmm. and and other entities and and i have a lot of great friends out there who have been so supportive that happens to be also in the group of work and that that really has been wonderful you can't believe some of those people how they have carried me on their hands to get me back to normal and it's been a tough road can i ask you in, yeah. in that question a follow-up in terms of the photography that you're doing mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and have you found yourself taking different photos or maybe has it freed you to take photos that you wouldn't have taken before or another question are you saying this is a cotton photo so i'm going to take it like this mm. is something he would have liked this is something that he would have done and oh, uh, good way of putting it uh, yeah i see cotton pictures mm. and then i take them and say oh you would like this yeah, one yeah, yeah. yeah. Abs absolutely <laughs> yeah. um yeah you know you you, you that that um connection yeah will not break of course, and yeah. and uh, like so many years of being together and having that interaction and and professional um satisfaction is just a, really something you had a synergy a, that was yeah. just and and, oh, and yeah. that's mm -hmm. got to be something that's uh -huh. kind of rough to yeah move what? forward after that's oh, what, sure. that's what i'm imagining yeah mm -hmm. absolutely um but um i I think I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> All right, yeah. then. You know, uh -huh. um, we were going to talk about photographing history. Yes. Uh, we ended up talking more about street photography and stuff <laughs> like that, which is totally fine. Um, yes. Uh, we maybe can, maybe we can throw a little bit. I know we're, yeah. you know time is it's almost eleven. Um, I know you have portfolio reviews to do. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe I can. Alan had one question he's asking everybody, but I kind of wanted to steal. This yeah, one, because no, somebody yesterday yeah, ahead, yeah. brought up this idea, and I, I think I'll ask it to you if, if it's possible to answer. Um, mm -hmm. If you had to throw out or destroy all of your photos except one, Ooh. oh, yes, which would it be? Which would mm, you keep? Yeah, sure. She wants this guy with the, uh, the guy with the scowl. Hostility major. No, but it is a, a, a street picture, mm -hmm. uh, and I did show it yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, the, whim, the the woman walking over a bridge in in uh, late uh, afternoon, early evening. She's the only person that's sharp in the, in the image. Um, I was coming walking over a, a bridge in um St. Petersburg and I I had like in the in the picture you can see there are two women on the right side of the frame they were obscuring the view for me and it, I realized this woman is coming towards me and her colors are beautiful and she's a beautiful looking woman and um I knew that it was just a matter of split seconds, and, and so I never really got my camera up to mm. my eye. I fired from my chest as I'm lifting the camera out, and, and I'm also 
panning with her at the same time because it's it's fairly late in the evening. Mm-hmm. So she's the only a person that stands out being in focus. Everything else is out of focus. Mm. There is a man on the left side of the frame who's out of uh, out of focus, and and there is um, a woman be behind coming behind, and she's kind of looking. She has realized that I'm taking the picture. The woman that I'm photographing has not realized it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that that would be it. I mean, I and I really, uh, in it. self-indulgence, uh-huh. I would sit and look at that picture. Uh-huh. I'm, so, I'm so happy that that And it's because, does is it more because the final product is beautiful and you love it, or is it because the moment that you that it happened you remember the moment and you got the photo that was tricky or you're, you you mm. what do you think that sticks well, in your let, How, let's everything? say perhaps it, it's both yeah yeah it, it's a mixture of both i mean it, the, but the process is is secondary it has to be the image itself that is the important part of it and the image for me is important i i look at it i look at at the beauty of it mm-hmm. the, the beauty of human beings and and uh, the way that that uh, they're moving and and so on and um the the beauty of light you, you mm-hmm. know and i i mean as a geographic photographer you you do look at at light and mm. and, and and beauty and and uh, composition so yeah Cece, yeah. um, it was it was just yeah. terrific speaking with meeting yeah. you and uh we, we all love your work here and Thank again you. talking with you has just been a real real treat okay. and if people want to see your work where should they go oh gosh I have kind of like a a, a website. There's uh, I haven't even been there for for quite some time. Yeah, it's like tough, it's yeah. kind <laughs> of like a a. Um, a What's can, that? Can an ov- overgrown uh, vegetable garden. It needs to be weeded. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll tell you, we're going to make it easy. Yeah. You're going to do what we do. Just, just go to Google and just write in. Yeah. Okay. CC Brimberg, and you're going to see a bunch of great pictures, and they'll be easy to identify because your style is easy to spot. Thank you me. have a signature. Appreciate that. Okay. Thank you yeah. so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We'll be back after a short break with Ziza Cruz Bacani. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at BH Photo Video, hashtag BH Photo Podcast. Okay, we are back. Ziza Cruz Bacani is a Filipina street and documentary photographer. She used photography to raise awareness about underreported stories focusing on migrants, and her work has grown to include long-term documentary projects that cover social justice and human rights issues. She's a Magnum Foundation Fellow, a Pulitzer Center and Open Society grantee, and a Fujifilm Ambassador. Welcome, Ziza. I started photographing street photography in 2009. Um, That's all? Oh, my yeah, goodness. 2009. Wow. I've uh, read a lot of, um, you know, in, internet is free in Hong Kong anyway. So I've read a lot in on the internet. I've read a lot of books. And I watch a lot of movies as well. So I think I train myself in a way that whenever I watch a book or I, no, I read a book or I watch a movie, I my brain retains that memory. Okay. So whenever I go out on the street, I see this 
things happening and I just photograph them. See, I, I know a lot of photographers who are very intelligent and have the great gear and they have the whole wrap and everything else and the pictures are terrible. <laughs> um, you have an eye. And that's Thank what gets you. me is that consistently, I mean, you, you, you know how to compose a photograph and capture all of the elements where they should be. It's a, it's, no, seriously, it, it's, it's kind of frightening how many, you know, how many <laughs> balls you knock out of the ballpark here. Seriously. Well, yeah, well, I think I don't, well, the thing is I don't really like my photographs in the street photography. I do them for my own personal, it's a personal thing for me. Like I go out, I shoot, it makes me happy, then I go home. So I do it every day. Okay. That's one thing that that I often tell people. It's not like I'm going to go out and, you know, I didn't come out from my mother's womb holding a camera. I was doing it every day since 2009. So I studied light because I keep on doing it every day. I think I developed the reflexes of a photographer, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and I trained my eyes to see. Can you can you think back to when you first hit the street with the camera and what was the the goal or the inspiration or what were you thinking day one? Well, my motivation is my mother actually. So my mother is also a domestic worker in Hong Kong. She doesn't go out. She's been there for two decades. She's working seven days a week. So she doesn't really know how Hong Kong looks like. Mm. So my motivation was, why not go out, take some photos, show it to her, like, oh, this is how Hong Kong looks like outside. I mean, it's a choice. It's not like they force her not to go out. It's right. just like she's a hard worker. I wish I have half of her stamina <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to working. <laughs> so, um, so so, she's satisfied with her lot there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That everything's okay with her? Everything is great with her. Like, okay, all right. So uh, she chose that. It's a choice. So anyway, uh, she she wasn't able to go out and see Hong Kong, even though she's been there for years. So when I have my first camera, my motivation for doing a street is to actually show the images to her. And she's my biggest critique, I say, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. whenever I, I show her a photograph, she's like, oh, it's ugly. And I'm like, why? <laughs> I don't know. It's just ugly. And, and <laughs> it's kind of cool because yeah. because of that, I, I realized that a person who doesn't really know anything about photography is a different crowd ver versus the ones sure. who know how to read a photograph. Mm -hmm. So I always have that. That's, two sides. That's a very, very interesting point. And yeah. I agree with you. It is great to get that input too. Because sometimes it is just the reaction. It's, you know, we, we, we can talk about shadow and light and composition and all these subjects, but really often what it is, is what grabs your eye, you know, and, and what, and sometimes without that training to get in the way, True. you can figure that out easier. You yeah. know, my, my kids will serve that for me sometimes, you yeah. know, in the same role. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So use so, your families. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the street photography developed into a documentary style of, not style, but you've, you've turned your street photography into something more than just walks around Hong Kong to follow stories. Is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. Okay. Uh, it all started in 2014 when I got um, discovered on Facebook, which is amazing, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like there's something good about social media. Mm -hmm. So I... When I started, I just keep on posting it on on Facebook, and one uh, photojournalist saw my work, and then he said, "Why don't you um, transition to documentary photography?" So I did. I started photographing migrant workers in Hong Kong who were abused, distressed, because I thought I was given this very special position where I can actually uh, magnify their voices because I'm one of them. You know, I understand what they're going through, like yeah. who they are. So these are my people. I always say that these are my people. So 
I uh, started photographing it and then I submitted it to Magnum Foundation in New York. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got the scholarship to go to NYU for six weeks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's when it all started. Uh, through, started through the Magnum Foundation? Through the Magnum yeah. Foundation. Yeah. Yes. Now, taking it to the next step would be documenting things that you're not so familiar with. And how did that come about? And, and what's the differences? Well, there's a lot of differences with street and uh, documentary photography. On street photography, I'm a hunter. Mm. You know how mm. hunter goes out, take a photo. Then when they get the photo, when they got the photo that they like, they don't really care about the people they photograph. You know, they don't, I don't bother asking like, hey, who you are? You know, Mm. who are you? Where you came from? Blah, blah, blah. But in documentary photography, I use a lot of my patience. (laughs) Like it takes a long time. Most of my works takes years. I'm a very slow worker when it comes to my documentary works. So I think with the speed, there's a big difference. With my documentary works, I do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. Like it's... 70%, 90% 70%, 90% research, fact-checking, uh, ethics, uh, checking all this stuff, and also spending time with the people I photograph. I need them to give me, to trust me, to give me the access to their lives. So most times my work takes years, like the one that I'm doing right now. I'm on my fourth chapter of human trafficking and you know the migration issue. So what I do is I research what kind of story that I will do, what who are the people I'm going to photograph. And then after I've done with all the research, I'm going to go there, introduce myself, get their trust. And if they allow me, then we, I follow them around. I don't I never stage images, which is similar with street. You know, that's the two things that I do. Yeah. Mm. And do you have the motivation to go out and hit the streets while you're in the middle of a documentary project? Do you do them both at the same time? I do them both for the same time because sometimes... Documenting human rights issues is kind of tiring. Mm. You know, it takes a lot of you, like the secondhand trauma, listening to what happened to them, to their story. Sometimes it, it kind of like pass on to me. So what I do is go out on the street to relax my brain. Right. So somehow uh, those two goes together, mm. hand in hand. Yeah. You know, it's... Absolutely. It's... They counterbalance each other. You yeah. want to release pressure from the other. It's yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if... Is there a joy in the documentary photography? And is there a joy in the street photography? Do you feel that way? Well, the thing with uh, street photography is there's an everyday joy. Like yeah. if you, if I took that photo that really makes me happy, then my day is made, like yeah. I'm done. But with documentary photography, after all these things that you've done, I think the joy that I experienced was when my photos can make a difference to these people's lives. Like for example, if someone was able to fix her immigration papers because of my of the story that I did about her, then that's joy for me when mm-hmm. it changed their lives mm-hmm. into something better. It's a personal satisfaction uh, yes, to get out of yeah. it. Yeah. It's a personal yeah. satisfaction, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's priceless, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're helping others, obviously, which is pretty yeah, it's important. Not, and too. it's not just you that's getting feeling good. Like you get a good street photograph, you're feeling good, but it doesn't do anything for anybody else. Whereas in the other situation, you did something good. Okay, you're feeling good because you did something good. You, you're feeling good because you did something very good and you somebody else benefited. That's directly. true. Directly. They Correct. really yeah. get it. Yeah. So that's difference. Absolutely. There's a big difference, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And are you, tra- are you doing news work that is coming out of the documentary work or is that kind of one and the same in the sense that this documentary should be news? I'm not a news photographer. I think that's a different um, type photojournalism, sure. I think it's the main one. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I also get assignments where 
a magazine will ask me to photograph someone that doesn't have anything to do with my documentary works. Most of my documentary works, I treat them as personal projects mm -hmm. because I'm the one who who thinks about a story. I'm the one who does everything, basically. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the difference with the news and documentary. But what I like is my documentary projects get published with in news publications. They have been. So they have yeah, been, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are they in collaboration with an editor or with, with the idea that it may get to this publication or you're completing them and then you're shopping them around, as they say? Yes, yeah. uh, I complete them and then I shop them around. Yeah. But sometimes, for example, my Pulitzer grant, the new one, I'm working with Quartz, mm -hmm. so the editor will be guiding me on what what they need, mm -hmm. what images they need, what mm -hmm. the story narrative would be. But most times I have 90% control because this is my personal work. Right. You know? right. Great. And black and white? And it's in color. It's in color. <laughs> well, <Okay. All> right. <laughs> I shoot in color. That's yeah. what people don't realize. They think that I shoot in black and white. Well, with Fujifilm, oh, this is like where I'm promoting them. It's but okay. yeah, <laughs> with Fujifilm, they have the option of uh, black and white and, yeah. and color. And you can shoot it both, you mm -hmm. know. So I like shooting in color because I don't want to you know, lose the choice of, you know. Right. Do you keep your finder in monochrome or color? I don't use the viewfinder. Oh, okay. I'm a blind shooter. Ah. Yeah. So. Um, All right. Really? Wow. Okay. So I never used to. You're very good then. <laughs> really good. <laughs> well, describe your, describe your technique then a little. How would you? Well, I call myself a blind shooter, but the reality is I don't put, I don't use a viewfinder because when you put the camera in front of your face, yeah. people will notice whether you like it or not. You know, like people are very, especially with the selfie generation where everyone is just taking photos. I think they're very receptive when someone is photographing them. Sometimes even though you're not photographing them, they feel that you're photographing them. Right. So the reason why I don't use the viewfinder is because I want to use my two eyes. I always say two is better than one because if you put it in your eye, that it, it, I feel like the other side is blocked. But if mm -hmm. I'm doing it with both eyes... I can see a wider perspective. I can see what's happening or what's going to happen in the frame, within the frame. Based on what you just said, I'm assuming you use one lens. Yes. And what would that be? Uh, I, I have a thing where whenever I have a new Fujifilm camera, I use it for six months uh -huh. without, without changing lens. I usually use 23mm to 35. I never go beyond that. Okay, so roughly normal lens, yeah. a normal, okay, because that, that makes it easier to work the way you're working. You can't do zoom lenses and shoot intuitively without looking through yes. a finder. So that does simplify things. And there's actually a lot of, not a lot, I know of several photographers whose work I follow, and that's the way they work. They use the same camera for years, one camera, one lens. They don't look through. They feel the photograph when yes. they aim the camera. They know where the yeah. edges of the frame are, and that to me is an amazing thing well, to be able to do. I was going to ask. I mean, you must be okay then with your frames being malleable. You can you can adjust a little bit if you didn't get exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I'm assuming that, or do you feel that you're so comfortable knowing your frame lines within that that focal length that you're you're pretty much accurate all the time? Let's just say maybe I'm. 70% accurate mm -hmm. now because if you do it every day your reflexes will be you know it will be like a part of you mm -hmm. 
So even though I'm not holding a camera, I'm framing something already. Yeah. So uh, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. kind of weird, like Matrix or something. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to explain it. But my friend who's a neurologist actually sent me a link about how the brain works. So what I do is when I'm not holding a camera, I'm actually, I blink when I see a, a frame. You know, even though I'm not holding a camera, I blink my eyes right. like, Training like my brain a, to say that's a photo. This project you're working on right now is obviously very personal because it's coming from a place you've been. This yes. is it's it's your story in many many ways. You feel this, you live it, and you you breathed it. Are there any projects you do you have any projects in your mind that you'd like to work on at some point in time that are just not from your experience? And what would they be? Well, actually, I'm working on a project right now with Open Society Foundation. It's about uh, how education can actually bridge the gap between the Muslim communities and the Christian communities. Oh. Yeah, so I'm also doing another project on the side. So um, that will be done by next year. So um, it's about the Muslims. I'm not a Muslim. so But I, I'm really interested on how how powerful education can be, you know, it can be a weapon. So the name of the project is Education as a Weapon. So it can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing, right. you know, so that's what I'm working on. Are you having a harder time wrapping your head around this project because of the fact that it's an external, it's not something from within? Or is it just that you're at a point right now where, no, I can do this right now because I'm comfortable with what I do? Well, I think with all the training that I received from uh, my elders, I don't know if they will be happy about me calling them my elders. I love that. <laughs> it's a great phrase, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. So uh, with all the trainings that I got from them, I think I'm very comfortable now on switching the gear. Mm -hmm. You know, like this time, I'm going to be very personal. This project, this is, I'm an outsider. But I my view will be from an outsider perspective. But I think it's good in a way because there's no bias. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have a personal bias about the issue. Mm -hmm. So I'm photographing whatever that is happening or what, what is being in front of me. You know? mm -hmm. And where, where are you shooting these photos? Well, I started my Muslim projects in 2015. I started one here in New York and mm -hmm. then one here in in Japan as well. Mm -hmm. But my focus now is actually Philippines, which Philippines. is where I came from. Right. It's my first project in, from home. my country. Right. Right, right. <laughs> and you're using Fuji's. So what are you, what are you shooting with? Which camera right uh, now? For my documentary works, I'm using the GFX medium format. Oh, wow. And for street, okay. I usually use the X-Pro2. X-Pro2, Because okay. um, I really like how mm -hmm. how it feels in yeah. my hand, you know. Great, great. So. I imagine the medium format, Fuji, must be good for you because you can work waste level in a sense. That camera gives you some flexibility. It's got yes. different findings where you don't have to hold this box in front of your face. You can have a camera right there and actually see what you're doing but maintain eye contact with your subjects. That's actually a good tool for you. Actually, yeah. The thing that I love about Fujifilm is they don't really change the buttons, the dials. So even though I'm transitioning from this camera to this camera, it all feels the same. Mm -hmm. but yeah, with, yeah, yeah. With the Fujifilm GFX, sometimes I even use it for street, just mm -hmm. for fun. Like, mm -hmm. what if I go out with this big camera on yeah. my hand mm -hmm. and then will people still notice me? But I like being a ninja on the street photography. Uh -huh. I don't <laughs> like to be noticed. Ah. <laughs> yeah, but with that camera, it's so big and heavy. You can clonk somebody in the head after you take that picture and get away. So you do have, you can be aggressive as you want. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I was about to say that explains the, the cables as she swings in and out of here. <laughs> 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 but it's interesting because we were talking earlier about how you disappear 
and the techniques you use to to be not noticed when mm-hmm. you're in the street and stuff like that. And everybody yeah. kind of has their tricks. And I was saying that I pretend to be a tourist sometimes and, yeah. and you know, take my camera and look up and then reposition when I need to. Sometimes like they're nicer if you pretend to be tourists. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I have this thing where I put my headset on mm-hmm. and, well... I think it pays to look young. <laughs> to look young? <laughs> yeah, because uh, people think that I'm just a student right. going around, right. taking photos. Right. Now, you know what's really naive, funny about yeah. that? I used to use that a lot. Oh, I'm just a student working on a project, okay? Every once in a while, I still say that. <laughs> and it's funny how people don't question me. And I, I, I use that just as a giggle to see if they're even just going to pause and say, really? <laughs> but it works. It kind of works, yeah, all the time. So any any lessons that you learned in street photography that you take to the documentary work? Um, where, where do you find kind of a crossover, either aesthetically uh, or with your technique? I think with the aesthetics, I was able to uh, bring it to documentary photography. So there's no difference in the way I compose the images, how how I photograph them in their most decisive moments. Because I don't... The thing with my documentary work is when I photograph people, I stay with them a lot. Like, when I try to get their trust, I don't even, you know, show up with a camera first, you know, until... They're the ones who will say, hey, why are you not taking your photos? <laughs> Is that what you're supposed to do? <laughs> right, right, so right. I, I, it, they're used to my presence already. So I'm able to take photographs of them in their most um, intimate moments. And I think I, I brought that w- from street photography. Mm-hmm. Because in street, I'm used to not being noticed as well. And then when it comes to... Um, I think when it comes to ethics, mm-hmm. there's a big difference. Like mm-hmm. in street photography, I'm an asshole mm-hmm. because I don't really know or try to know these people. Right. But then one thing that I've learned is when a person notices me taking their photograph and they don't like it, I delete that photo mm-hmm. because there's no use offending someone mm-hmm. over a photo. photo. You can always get that photo the same day or mm. the next time because, you know, a street is like a big theater, you know? And when you say yeah. that they don't like it, that's just based on their eye contact or they'll actually, they'll say something to you or, I mean, how do you read if they didn't like you taking their picture? Well, in Hong Kong, they'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? You don't even to like, they'll be like, why are you taking my photo? <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a good, you know, it's a good city to practice street photography yeah, because people are just so... I, I don't know, straight to the point. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. And then you need to show them, like, why are you taking my photo? And you'll be like, actually, I'm not taking your photo. So you need to show it to them. Right. And if they're there, you need to delete it. Yeah. You know? No, I respect that. And, and do you feel inspired uh, by any city more than another city when you're doing street photography? I mean, you like Hong Kong, of course, but how do you feel when you're in New York or any other big city? I like New York. It's, I think it's very... Um, there's something that every time I touch down New York, there's something that it makes it makes me feel so humble. It's so big, it makes me feel like I'm nothing. So it makes my street photography easier mm-hmm. because it's just so, it's massive. Mm-hmm. But then it gives me that feeling that anything is possible in this city, but then it makes you feel humble. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it gives you humility. So I think New York is very inspiring. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's beautiful. It's all greedy. You know, I love the subway. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, why do you love the subway? It sucks. And I'm like, well, it's nice to photograph people at the subway. You absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And Hong Kong's different in this? Uh, how do you, I mean, how would you compare the two in that sense? Hong Kong is 
I'm sorry, New Yorkers will not love me for saying it, but Hong Kong is faster than New York. You know, like a minute in New York is a second in Hong Kong. Like everything is just, there's this organized chaos in Hong Kong because everything is just fast, moving. And uh, in Hong Kong, everything is efficient. <laughs> so, I mean, the subway, the train, comparing those two. So there's this difference, I think, okay. you know. And do you see differences in your photos from one city to the other? Yeah, I mean, in New York, I love the color. Okay. I love taking oh. photographs of, okay. of New York in color because it's not as gray as Hong Kong. Hong mm -hmm. Kong is a little bit gray. There's different shades of gray. Sometimes you don't see the sun for two weeks, you know. So <laughs> my choice is always black and white in, in Hong Kong. But here it's very colorful. It's mm. lively, you know. And what about shooting at night? Because obviously we think of Hong Kong as pretty lit up and a lot of, a lot of colors at night. Do and you... Fuji cameras are amazing with yeah. some nice colors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if you look at my street works, most of it is at nighttime because mm -hmm. I like the quietness. Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's very silent comparing mm -hmm. when it's daytime where everyone is just out and about walking. And uh, I think one of the hardest things to photograph in Hong Kong is isolation mm -hmm. because, you know, it's so tight. You know, there's no space. So everywhere you look, there's someone there. Right. So I like nighttime because it's more quiet and... People are weird at nighttime. Yeah. In everywhere. You've noticed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like I always say this that a banker in Hong Kong, a respectable banker at daytime can be a drunk yeah. person rolling around the street at nighttime. So the, I think there's something about the darkness that, you know, when it's dark, people just take off their the masks. Mask. And, the truth comes and out. The truth yeah, yeah. comes out. Yeah. Yeah. The nighttime is the right time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's interesting. And when you hit the streets, let's say, I'll just say you go out for a, a walk or whatever you want to call it. When you do, do you, do you bring a theme that you want to look to for that night, like isolation, or is that just something that comes out uh, regularly in in what you're looking for? And um, or do you just hit the street and, and try to find what what pleases you? Well, I, I try to go out and just you know just let it flow. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens happens you know mm -hmm. but i can't avoid that because of the things i've read or the movies that i watch sometimes it, it affects the way i view the world or my feelings my emotions just to kind of wrap up we're asking people one question and and uh maybe you can answer it uh if you had to throw out all of your photos mm -hmm. except for one can you tell me what photo that would be the photo of my mother mm. that you took that i took in what setting well, I have a book coming out and there's a lot of photos of my mom. Mm. <laughs> so that's a whole book. So I will not throw that book. So okay. it's a story of, it's called We Are Like Air. It's coming out on November 30, 2018. Oh. So it's about migration. It's about love, sacrifice and humanizing migrants. So um, that book, I think one of the photos that I took of my mom, that is that one photo that I will never throw out. You know, It just shows who she is as a person mm -hmm. and my mother is the worst subject ever <laughs> <laughs> does she it's, like the photo she actually don't like it she no. was like oh i look ugly on that i'm like yeah. no you look beautiful right. you look raw you know right. and he, she was like whatever you say but i don't like that photo <laughs> you know but i i really love that photo it's hard to photograph your own family yeah has she been supportive of you, your career as a photographer uh, all along? Or? Yeah, she's very supportive, actually. She's she's like an agent 
I was just texting her a while ago, like, hey, someone offered me to do a beauty product commercial, and I look at the mirror, and I laugh so hard. <laughs> and she was like, the first thing that she said is, how much are they paying you? Of course. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. My mom is a businesswoman. Well, you know, no, it's, it's got to be terrific for her to see that her daughter is going out into a whole new direction, out into the world, and succeeding. Yeah, she's very proud. She's, she always say that, you know, at least someone was able to break out of migration cycle. There you go. That's what she always says, you know, yeah. like it doesn't matter if you're getting paid a lot, you know, she knows that I'm never going to get rich on this, you know, this industry. I always complain that, you know, <laughs> that I'm broke, but she always mm. says that at least you were able to break out of migration. You know? Right. Right. Because that's right. her dream. Yeah. It's a wall. Well, you mm -hmm. broke down a wall, and once you're in the other wall, then you can yeah. do other things. Yeah. Uh, as far as a lot of money, do podcasts. We are rolling in cash. <laughs> Seriously, we just do this because we like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's some very good bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It was terrific having you here. Oh, Wonderful you. talking with you. Very refreshing work. And considering how long you've been, like nine years you've been taking pictures, you done pretty darn good there. Uh, and, and, and it's wonderful to see and hope to have you back and see how things evolve. Thank you so much. And I'll see you all around. Yeah. You know? yeah. Let's yeah. do this again. This Let's is really fun. All right. Thanks Thank so much. You. Appreciate it. Okay. That wraps up another episode with a huge thanks to Cece Brimberg and Ziza Cruz Bacani. In the coming weeks, we're going to be presenting conversations with photographers Keith Carter, Joyce Tennyson, Seth Resnick, Adam Morelli, Vincent Versace, and all recorded at Optic 2018. Till then, for John, Jason, and myself, thank you so much for tuning in today. <laughs>